Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Hey. Okay. Emily. Yes. I almost said babe. You can say babe. Well, I know, but I, I, wanted, you, I wanted to be a little more professional here. Mm. And so... We haven't been here in a while. No, we haven't. And we have had a week. Yes, we have had a week. It has been a great, fil- grateful... How do you say that? Grateful filled week? Great filled? Great, great gratitude filled? I'm <laughs> very full of gratitude, but I'm also bone tired. And today's been our first day back at home since recovering from... Traumatic events, which you could see on Brett and I's personal Instagrams. Um, We just had a really near-death experience with a fellow um, teammate of our daughter's. My grandmother passed away. Um, We've got friends and family members who are in the hospital with COVID. Yeah, all of Thanksgiving was up and down. Is he going to make it? Is he not going to make it? Yeah. So we're raw. a lot. Yeah. Had he got her wisdom teeth out? She got her wisdom teeth out. She was chubby bunny there for a while. So, uh, yeah, here, but we're here. We are here. The week after Thanksgiving. Yes. Which means we are in the Advent season. True, true. And I got to be honest, growing up, being Mr. Baptist boy that I was, Advent was a Catholic word. Yeah, I, I didn't even know it was a word. I so don't. I cannot wait to talk about this. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about Advent and, and in different aspects of it. And I could not be more thrilled. <laughs> Than the guest we have today. Okay, it's one of my favorite Wacoans. True. Uh, it is. He uh, is Waco's bishop. He is Waco's bishop. He is our pastor. He is. He is younger than us. Yeah. So you know, I don't know what that means. He but holds a mantle of authority. He does, but we still don't do what he says all the time. Um, our dear friend and pastor Josh Carney. Welcome to the show, Bishop. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. I'm a fan. I'm a subscriber. I've rev- I don't know if I reviewed. I've five started though. Thanks. That means a lot. So you've hit the button, as Gus tells me. You got to hit that button below. Become a sub. It's not a subscriber anymore. It's a sub. So oh, you're a sub. I'm a sub. Sub. Yeah. It matters how many subs you have. It does. Here's one of my favorite things about Josh Carney. Um, my voice is not too loud. It is perfectly. Did it fine. Get loud. Okay. I'm really bad at the tech end of this. Okay. I have a lot of dynamic. You so, do have a dynamic voice. Uh, Josh is from Wisconsin. Wisconsin is the mm-hmm. Texans uh, echo back to me when they say it. Tomahawk? Tomahawk. The hatchets. Tomahawk. Can, you just, can you just describe Tomahawk, Wisconsin in five words? <laughs> um, yeah, I can. Shit's Creek <laughs> surrounded by pine trees. That was more than five, but... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And you're loving this weather because it's cold oh, out. And you're riding Praise your... the name of the Lord for and the goodness <laughs> raining down to a, on us in the form of 53 degree goodness. And you're riding your motorcycle around. I did. I am riding my scooter. Although one of the, we were talking before the show about being midlife now is um, the old man syndrome setting in. It's like, oh, it's 50 degrees. I don't know if I got enough layers to, because uh, mm-hmm. I feel it in my body now later. Yeah, like your joints hurt. You I know. Feel I 50, you feel 53 it's degrees? Okay. I'm, I'm lending I'm this to hyperbole, but I'm just owning the fact that I'm getting old in ways that are uncomfortable yeah. to admit. We kind of trust that a little more. We're kind of yeah. glad you're like entering into a little bit of where we're at. We kind of feel like that just gives you a little more grit yeah. to your goodness. It sets you know? in fast. Yeah, because yeah. Emily said this morning at 640, I'm going to need you to go out and start the cars and turn the seat warmers on. Yeah. And so I said, it is my pleasure to serve you, honey. And I go outside and 
I was like, this is not cool anymore. No. This hurts. It, was, it hurts. It was this morning, wasn't it? Below 39? It was. Mm-hmm. All I know is on the thing, it said ice yeah. mm-hmm. in the dashboard. That's cold for Texas, y'all. That's, that is cold for it's Texas. Cold. Well, I'm excited to have you on. You Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you're clearly from Tomahawk, Wisconsin. I am Tomahawk, Wisconsin. Tell us about who you are and the space kind of you take up in the world. Yeah. And, and uh, we'd love to know. Well, you. I am a pastor in Waco, Texas. So, um, you know, quite the religious tradition cut out here before I got here. Um, and I have four kids, my wife and I, and we had two foster kids this last year during mm-hmm. COVID. So that was a new adventure for us. Um, I love Wisconsin sports teams and I like to read. Um, and that's about all the interesting things about me, I could say. And you like to write. I did write a fiction book that my wife is now proofing. And I wrote another nonfiction book that never got published, which is kind of the... And you know, like most people don't just do that on their spare time. Yeah, you know? I did discover how much I love writing. Yeah. Like it's a joy just to do. Yeah. Your sermons are a little bit proof of that, I will say. Well, so I read Julia Cameron's book this last year, The Artist's Way. And mm-hmm. um, what I had discovered in reading that, and I think I'd actually... Discovered this before, but um, the task of being forced to write something every week that you, I'm not claiming is good, but that you feel the pressure to do well mm-hmm. in front of, you know, an audience of 500 people um, will really, I mean, I, I, there are many weeks when I'm like, this sucks, I'm terrible, and being forced to do it was the best thing for me. I think it's important to say that you are, that I, I, I think when I think of pastors, there's two kinds. There is the um, off-the-cuff just go with it. You just speak what's on your heart. You may have some notes for some points, but otherwise you're just kind of going, you're flowing in the room. And then there's your manuscript pastor. And you fall more in line with that because you're reading, as I best can tell, you're reading your sermon. Mm -hmm. But you're doing it in such a way that it feels like you're just talking to us. Yeah, well, that's a gift of getting to do it for 10, well, I guess 13 years now. But... um yeah, that's that's the goal. Um, you know, and actually, I have great admiration for people who are unmanuscripted and do it well. I think that's such an engaging, beautiful art. Um, but the goal for me is to uh, write it so that it feels like it's a vernacular we all share and that it's comfortable. And there are different tricks you can do that even with the manuscript itself, um, the way you format it mm-hmm. and how you like using bullet points, indenting things. Mm-hmm. It, it cues different kind of... Intonation. Um, I will tell you, fun fun fact, my, the very first manuscripted pastor I ever heard in my whole life, wait for it, John Piper. Oh, yeah. Mine well, too. There's a guy who mastered that craft of making you think he was just mm. speaking from the I mean, devil. he really does sound... And then, it, and then you go and you read the manuscript and it's like, he's saying every word. Oh my gosh, yeah. wow. So writing a speech, I'll call it, is a much different thing than writing for reading. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I can see that. It, it's you're an orator. You know, you're you're orating this narrative, right? And yeah, there have, is an intentionality to it as well. Have you ever gone Donald Trump and gone off the teleprompter? <laughs> yes, and paid for it. Oh, and didn't forget where you're no. at. Well, not just that, but then said things that are dumb. So <laughs> it is kind of a hemming in, a little bit of a protection there. To yeah, really think through what you're going to say. But you know, there are times too where I've really set aside the manuscript and just talked to people. And I think I can tell that that connects in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who is it? Oh, there's a guy that was on Krista Tippett. He's the guy who collects the National Archive for whatever the thing is uh, of just people's stories. Mm-hmm. And there's this beautiful quote where he says, the soul is in the voice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so true. Oh, man, that's a good one. Um, and so, you know, that's the gift of hearing something as opposed to reading it. But there's also a difference between saying something right. in, in conversation through friendship or colloquially versus reading so, yeah. even a really well thought out piece of rhetoric. Yes. Agreed. So growing up, did you, um, is your, you grew up in Tomahawk. You're a pastor now. Did you grow up in church? Yeah. My dad was a pastor. What uh, denomination? Uh, non-denominational charismatic. And did he read his sermons? No. Hey, <laughs> I'm just curious. Was there a charismatic that read their sermons? Yeah, no, he was... Uh, well, the, the description I give of the church is it was a church filled with Flannery O'Connor characters. If you, you know, We had two mills and a Harley-Davidson plant that kept the blue-collar talent afloat. Salt-of-the-earth people, good people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he... he uh, the, 
I couldn't. My mom's told me, "Oh, you could have never preached at that church. They would have thrown <laughs> produce at you." I mean, that was what? Not, Shut up, idiot! Yeah, yeah. Talk, talk like normal person. Right. That kind of thing. Right, right. Um, <laughs> which is amazing. great, and I, I love those people. And I, that church was tremendous, informing me. Well, and bringing. Okay, so here we are today. We're, you know, UBC in Waco is a liturgical Baptist community. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear the word Baptist church, because I grew up Southern Baptist, UBC is zero things like my upbringing. Like maybe the fact that we do communion, but we even do that different. There's a lot of practices. Um, it's just nothing. I, I didn't have any frame of reference for the kind of space that UBC was holding in the world. And certainly didn't have a space for a Baptist church that was doing liturgical practices. Um, did you grow up in your charismatic upbringing knowing about Advent? Because that's what really we want to talk about today mm-hmm. is this season that we're entering into. Did you grow up knowing about I it? I knew what the word Advent was, okay. but I had a misconception of what it was. I just thought it was the pregame for Christmas. Yeah. So, okay. um, which, I mean, functionally, that's kind of how it, even in high church traditions now works, but um, I didn't know Mm-hmm. about the themes of Advent. I didn't know about the lectionary. I didn't mm-hmm. know about the kind of the deep theme of waiting. I didn't know about any of this. Mm-hmm. All I knew is it was that calendar where you got to open the, yeah. you know, open the <laughs> little door. Back on Christmas vacation. Yeah, Advent calendar. That's open what the I little sealed door, and I used to yeah. love to try to break the seal of the next day to find out what the next right. thing was going to be. Our and save some up. churches, some Baptist churches, did have little wreaths and candles up on the stage. Yeah, but you never knew what they were. You didn't and really then why know. is one pink and one's blue? Yes. And you don't know what any of that means. Yeah. So, you know, I think over the past few years, I really even before I came to UBC, one of the first books that someone gave me, and I don't remember who, but they gave me Richard Rohr's Preparing for Christmas, which is um, just a tiny, tiny little devotional book, just surrounding themes of Advent, scripture readings that are typical of the liturgical calendar, but then he kind of, you know, breaks it down into what this means for present day. Um, Can you just give our listeners like an overview? Because some of them may come either from non-church traditions or, you know, what is Advent? What's the point of it? Why are we still talking about it in 2020? Um, what does this mean for us today as people who are following Christ? Yeah, um, I'll try and make that both concise, but also give the the answer, I think, the breadth that it needs. So just to give like a Wikipedia response, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which came from the Greek word parousia, which parousia, we may or may not know that we all know because it's the word that we derive rapture from. So um, if you're a big Tim LaHaye, Jim was Jenkins fans, you should also be a big uh, Advent fan. What's the t- oh, is that left That's behind? That's left, left behind. behind. Okay, okay, I didn't read them. Yeah, yeah so, um, you know, parousia, as evangelicals have understood it, I think is a misnomer, but that's a different. Okay. But that's where that comes from. And so, um, you know, the, the tradition of the church has said that Advent then is a, um, it's an anticipation and a receiving of Christ in three different ways. We celebrate the Christ child who came. We celebrate the receiving of Christ in our hearts today. And then we also, and this is one I think that gets lost on people, we're also, this is a waiting for the Advent or the second coming of Jesus as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, I think one of the refrains that you hear in Advent is, he who came and will come again, mm-hmm. is was really, the, so it's, it's about waiting and it's about anticipation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think culturally, one of the ways we've appropriated, especially in America where capitalism and consumerism kind of reign is uh, to really practice the waiting piece. Mm-hmm. And to do prep work, um, which Brett, I would love your feedback on this. Is a three, an aggressive number, is really hard for me. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly thrive in these kinds of moments. Now, the larger answer I would give is that this is the beginning of the church's calendar year. Mm-hmm. So it concluded two weeks ago with Christ the King Sunday, mm-hmm. when Christ is crowned. And what I tell people is, um, you know, we came from traditions where you shared the gospel and got people saved. Totally. And and I still uh, am um, amenable to that sort of an explanation. And I prayed to receive Jesus, and people pursue me, but I will pray with them to receive. Jesus, but I say um, that what the church calendar does is it tells the story of salvation throughout the year. Mm. And so this is the beginning of the story of Jesus, and then we'll move into Christmas. And there's actually 12 days of Christmas, um, mm-hmm. which is when we should do all of the, 
carols and the celebrating and the festivities. And, um, you know, in the early church, it was just a, you know, a, maybe a Christmas tree with no decorations on mm-hmm. it. There was, you know, you weren't seeing it. it was very somber moments. Mm. Um, and I think part of that comes from the inner, what they call the intertestamental period, the few hundred years before Jesus arrives. Mm-hmm. Narratively is a very silent period in biblical history, mm-hmm. right? So um, we have a lot from exilic period, which is about 500 BC. We have a lot before that narratively, although we think most of this was composed in the 5th century BCE. But this, again, these 200 years before Jesus arrives, which are really critical in the development of the theology that the Pharisees and the Sadducees have, is a, um, in terms of literature, a very silent period Mm -hmm. in history. And so there is this very glum kind of cloud of waiting and anticipating Mm -hmm. in history. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think... Well, and Mm -hmm. it's interesting you bring that up because just this morning in preparation for this... I decided I was going to read Malachi. Oh, there you go. So Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, which is the beginning of the 400th-ish period of silence between... Yep. So is it 400 or 200? Well, Why well, is there discrepancy there? Do they really there? know? Well, that's the thing is, I mean, it's, yeah, but, it's yeah. the, the chronology is guesswork for us okay. at best at this point. Okay. But but you have these, you have, five, was it five chapters, I think it is, of 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 Malachi giving just this... God is pissed. He's just he's just mad at everything. He's mad that worshipers are just bringing crap to him and he's just like I just wish you guys wouldn't even have church. Like just stop doing all that cuz you're wasting my time except for these people over here. Now these people they're doing it right. And so I like these people, but everybody else over <laughs> here you're just assholes and I just need to kill you all. So it's like we're wow. closing out the thing mm-hmm. with this great big pissed off God and then he quits talking to everybody <laughs> he's just he's like I'm done and he like turns his back on everybody and for like all these hundreds of years and then the next thing you know you've got the dude wearing wool eating locusts <laughs> talking about this savior who's coming and Jesus is the antithesis of this pissed off angry God yeah. it's, it's just so fascinating and this morning I just had this moment of Dang, God. Dang, you were hot. Mm. That's more on Malachi than most people have ever heard in their life right there. There you go. I mean, yeah. Good for you guys. That was like sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of fire coming over. uh, The other interesting thing, though, is if you're Catholic, this is not the case, right? So they have the Apocrypha and Mm. some of the more robust, I think, helpful, if nothing else, historical books they have. Um, included there are the Maccabees, mm-hmm. and they fill in this period okay. with not just history, but sort of a, the development of theology and history that's really critical for things like resurrection and other mm-hmm. things that we espouse. So mm. Catholics have us there. They do have us there, and I, I don't, I don't think I re- recognized how different our sacred texts were until I went to the monastery. With or Macrina. unless you go to Baylor and you had to take religion because then you had to get the Bible that had the book of Maccabees in oh, it. There you go. The big red one. Take that. Yep. I went the Oxford that. annotated Bible. That one. Yep. yep. I remember I that. I was just trying to save people. Because I remember being a, t- <laughs> At least somebody was. a tiny little freshman going, we shouldn't be reading this. This is adding to scripture. And Revelation <laughs> says, do not add to this book. <laughs> oh, Lord. So Advent is means the coming. And so... Right, mm-hmm. and and so and th- so this season because something is coming, someone is coming. We're in this season of waiting, and you asked the question to Brett as another aggressive number, what that maybe feels like for you d- during this period of waiting. I cannot imagine as an eight to wait, but you are right now waiting. Yeah. How do you wait? Uh, I either don't wait and do and fix, or I almost don't think about it. I don't think about what I'm waiting on. Mm. Yeah. So then it's not in the forefront of my mind. So while systemically I understand that the Messiah, I, I believe that the Messiah will come back, uh, the second coming of Christ, I believe in that. But I don't sit here and think every single day, oh, is it going to be today? What, do I, what, what am I going to get caught doing? Am I going to get caught saying a bad word or eating too much or feeding a homeless person? You know, what, you know that old, yeah. what are you going to do when Jesus comes back? I don't think about that. So what does that mean for, um, would you agree, are you kind of, you're nodding your head. Oh, Josh, everything like, you said I okay. identified with. So 
both of you and me come from backgrounds that are really pushing us to be a little bit scared about the second coming and what we're going to be doing. So we grew up in cultures that wanted us to be a little bit frightened so that we could get our shit together. Oh, yeah. I mean, what are you, what are you going to be doing? doing? Are you going to be making out with your girlfriend that you're not married to when Jesus comes back? But you're saying you're, you just were like, I mean, that's a nice thought, but like, I'm, I'm not really. Well, I won't even take it this way because you and I were just talking about this the other day, Emily. Um, I, I've been around a lot of people who I hear them say a lot. I am just so re- I am just ready to go to heaven now. Right. I am just ready to get out of this world because everything will be so much better when we get to heaven. And I got to be honest, at first I thought I'm not spiritual enough because I don't feel that way. Mm. Like I don't, I don't know. I'm going to be real honest here. I don't know that I'm ready for Jesus to come back just yet because right. I feel like we have a lot more to do here first <laughs> right. that I really want to do and I want to be a part of, which then moves me into this position of maybe heaven is the icing and what we do here on earth is actually the cake hmm. instead of us thinking heaven is the cake. Wait, you mean opposite. You mean the icing on the cake would be heaven, the icing. Isn't that what he said? Oh, wait, sorry. But you're saying, but earth, earth maybe is we the have cake. it backwards. Yeah, we were thinking heaven's going to be the cake. Oh, heaven's I thought we dessert. thought heaven was the icing. No, heaven's the dessert. That's how I was raised. Oh, okay. That's the, We want to get to right, the right, dessert. Right. Yeah, and I'm like, well, I think the, the dessert is here. Yes. The cake is here, and oh... Well, then, what if it's the cake and the icing? Well, it might be that too. I don't know. I'm yeah. just simply saying, those people... And if you're one of those people out there, I'm not shaming you if you're ready to get to heaven. I'm just telling you, I'm not, and I don't want you to shame me. <laughs> what do you have to say about that? Well, I was thinking about... Um, it was one of Shane Clay, Claiborne's books. He talks about um, Maranatha, Come Lord Jesus, mm. was the cry of the early church. Mm. And um, I hated this for the same reasons Brett just articulated, but he says, give us more time is the prayer of the pagan. Mm. And I think what was, if you unpack that, the the prayer, give us more time, is reflective of privilege. Like, oh, this is good for me. Whereas, you know, the early church is founded in circumstances where, of course, you wanted Jesus to come. Yeah. <laughs> the other thought yeah. I had is the prayer of every evangelical youth group kid was, come, Lord Jesus, just after I get to have sex for the first totally. time. Totally. <laughs> I mean, like, I remember, because we were engaged during 99. We got married in 2000, and we were engaged for a year. And I I remember thinking because yes. we we were we were waiting and for sex and I just remember thinking I'm gonna be really pissed if I don't get to have sex like and every while well, everyone well, storing up wasn't water until January twenty ninth right we, yeah New Year's Day was gonna happen before that well the delaying of the Perusia to borrow the <laughs> the phrase again has been from the fervent heartfelt prayers of young evangelical kids right. in the Western Hemisphere totally, for the last two thousand years totally under the purity movement <laughs> they've been putting oh it gosh, off for sure we um. Yeah, we don't we don't really wait well, and yet God's people have always been awaiting people. And I think there's no shame in how each of us waits differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some of us, making the use of our time to to wait well doesn't just mean you like sit in a contemplative, like mystical stance your entire life and live in a monastery. And you, there's not one way to wait well. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think that's... So let me flip the script, though. Okay. You're, um, to do Enneagram speak, you're a one. Yeah. You have a present orientation to time. Totally. Um, do you feel like when you hear these sorts of suggestions from the calendar, you light up like, all right, finally, everybody come to where I am? Or does it feel like um, a challenge for you, too? Well, we've ta- Brett and I have talked about this before. I, I do gravitate toward introspection and wanting to make meaning out of what is right now. And I think, and I don't know if that's any, I'm I'm not studied enough in the Enneagram to know, is that what present time orientation means? Because I am trying to make meaning of the now in the context of what's to come and what's been. And so I do find myself trying to kind of pull together pieces and Advent feels like a permission to do that. Once I discovered Advent, I was like, oh my gosh, like it's now and not yet. Like I get it. It's the now Christ has come and he's yet coming and we're in this in between, but we already have everything we need. To me, it invited kind of this, like it's, it's okay. Like we're okay. Um, and like we could take a breath, you know? Um, 
I think that I'm still doing oriented. And so what can be hard for me is stillness. What's your order of your stance? I can't remember for ones. Thinking repressed. Okay. So, so doing's not doing hard for you. first. So the, the busyness of the season of whatever season I'm in sometimes feels like but it But you can precedent. do all of that with a kind of attentiveness and a consciousness mm-hmm. that enriches it, right? I, I try to. That's what I, I envy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would try that, but I wouldn't say I I will say, do. though, I, I just finished my last counseling session. I was in therapy for mm. basically two years, and um, we boiled down all my problems to your future-oriented your future oriented and your um, can't connect with your feelings. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. and gram, aggressive That's number one. one. So, um, but the one thing she really said helpful, because at one point I was just so frustrated, I'm like, fine, why don't I just, you know, uh, move to my healthy space and be a six then, then I can be present. She said, oh. but there's a difference between being present and a present orientation at time. Mm. And that really was a light bulb moment for me. Yeah. All of us can be present, right? I mean, like with what we're given. I, and I think a present orientation for me is like, I, it can be my arch nemesis because I see what needs to be done right in front of me and I want to do it because I'm doing oriented. So it's like the dishes are there, the laundry is there. And so instead of like being present with the spirit yeah. of the moment yeah. of saying, it is best for you, Emily, to sit down. Like, sit down. We have been on sit the go down. for 12 hours. Yeah, we've been. Your we've feet been are tired. We've been giving and giving and giving, yeah. and we've been driving, and the last thing we need to actually do is to come do the dishes, yeah. even though you really want to do the dishes. Not even want to. Not even a Not even a want. Like, it needs. It's not no, even, it's true. like a command. It's not even oh, like yeah. a... Like a desirous, the moral wanting. righteousness of the dishes is staring at you in the face. Yeah, or, or like my kids. Like I have a really hard time telling my kids no, because if they have a need and it's in the present time, it is hard for me not to meet that need. Like, can we talk about for a minute why it's easier for you to tell me no than it is our kids? Because no? you're a grown ass man. S- s- spouses just don't apply. <laughs> you're just, a grown man. I'm just you sitting here. Um, I just had a burp of envy towards my children that just welled up. You, and you and typical of of men, right? And the spout. What we're learning in our marriage therapy is like that is typical for men to resent the children because they came from my body. It's literally like my body telling me, mm. "Hey, come tend to me," and I'm like, "Yes." What, do you need a rub, a foot rub, you know, or if they're like, mom, can you come? It's so hard for me to deny that. There's that school teacher who has a quote, children, our hearts walking outside of our body. Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Um, so in this season of waiting, I think one of the thing, one of the questions that I have for you as our pastor, because I was reading about this, um, this morning in the book, Common Prayer, the Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals, which Shane Claiborne uh, helps co-author. Um, I was reading this morning about the coming of Christ as a, that we come, that Imago Day really means that we come from a plurality of oneness. And so that when Christ came, Christ didn't just come as one man or one display of God, but he brought a whole community to bear Hmm. on earth to reveal that we are from community and we are returning eventually to community. That kind of blew my mind this morning because I think when I think of the coming of Christ and I think of the season of Advent, it's like we're all waiting for this one baby who, who has everything wrapped up but really in one body is a whole kingdom is a whole community. Is that something like you learn? I, I don't, is that just new to me or is that just been the tradition that I've never known? Um, you know, in hearing you articulate that the, I think the probably the closest I came to being taught something like that was when I took a missions class with Mike Stroop. Do you guys know Mike Stroop? I love Mike. Yeah, he's people. a personal hero of mine. Right. Yes. And um, you know the very first things he t- teaches in that class is basically that um, you know because we when we start talking about missions we tend to think of Paul or we you know mm-hmm. maybe you might even dig in the Old Testament he says no the very first act of mission was God sending God's self mm-hmm. in the form of 
Um, well, first, creation, but Jesus mm-hmm. more explicitly. And um, I do think that that is a, a helpful starting point to think about. Um, so I don't know if that was exactly the same thing that they're writing about, but it, it seems similar. Mm-hmm. I think that plurality of oneness just struck Well, what does me. that mean to you? I think it means that we're invited into a bigger understanding of humanity that I've, you know, it's kind of like the now and like we don't meet strangers, you know, we meet friends who we haven't known yet kind Mm. of, you know, we're, when we're reaching out, we're really reaching into ourselves that. And so the, like God sent that community in Jesus and the invitation to be in that community. Yeah. Yeah. That seems wild to me. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. Well, even in that form, I mean, you think the form of a baby, the, the most helpless, the smallest human, human, fallible. He's going to send an entire kingdom in, the, in that? I mean, yeah, could have... it makes more sense now when I think of it in a plurality of oneness that when God is like, he brought the kingdom to, you know, that Christ brings the kingdom to earth. I don't, I don't know that, I've, that I had made the mental connection between kingdom and community. And that humanity is a bigger part, is is the whole of it. I mean, that he's bringing all of humanity, all of history and all of time into this moment. You know, it just felt like I was being invited into um, not feeling so alone. You know, I think for those of us who've probably struggled with loneliness or struggled with feeling like we don't fit and we don't belong and... We're kind of on the outskirts or whatever. It feels like we are from community. Well, and, and to quote forth. that great theologian, Faith Hill, <laughs> a baby changes everything. <laughs> Amen. So good, babe. Um, yeah, I, I think that that is very powerful. And if, if you kind of take yourselves back, we, you know, we've been Christians so long that we forget how exclusive Judaism mm. was that Jesus was born into. And really that kind of inbreaking into the world where that kind of inclusion is. Yes is very powerful and probably lost on us. Uh, one other thing I, I think about is I, um, you know, I was going to say systematic campaign, that's overstated, but it, sort of internally, I have elevated the status of Christmas Day in my theological life to, I don't want to overstate this, on par with Easter, but, um, you know, in the churches we grew up, we reduced our salvation to uh you know, Good Friday and yeah. Easter Sunday. Whereas, you know, you read the early church and the, the church fathers will talk much more about something that gets called either recapitulation or theosis in the Eastern church where um, Jesus isn't just teaching us resurrected life. Jesus is teaching us how to do everything. So yes. Jesus is teaching how to laugh, how to eat, how to mm-hmm. cry, how to break bread, how to... And so from the moment of inception to birth, like he's even teaching teaching us how to be born. Yes. And so um, every act is redemptive and reclaiming. And um, I, so I, you know, in that way, I do think salvation started not on the cross. Salvation mm. started uh, with mm-hmm. Mary in the, in mm. the inception. Why uh, do we? Okay, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, are, are you going to stay on the same line of? No, I had some other questions. Well, I I want to jump to um, your sermon from Sunday. The can beginning. I ask? Can I ask a question before that because it leads up to this? Okay. Because why do we? Why are there? four different, why is it hope? And that what's the order about with well, Advent? Well, some people would say that the four weeks and those themes are superfluous. Like if you dig through church history, they're not always there. Okay. Um, I think they're incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the uh, the order isn't always the same in church traditions. Okay. The candle colors aren't always the same. Uh-huh. I do think it makes sense that the crescendo is love for uh-huh. so week four. I think it also makes sense that you start with hope because hope is like the flicker in darkness. Mm-hmm. And so the light's getting brighter until you light the Christ yeah. candle on that day. Okay. Is the thought. That was my question. Okay. So we just celebrated the well, what, hope so, candle. So ho- it goes hope. We do well, hope, peace, joy, love. Okay. Uh, are any of those candles mauve? What is is that a color? Like a pinkish, rosy. Is that are you referring to the joy candle? I think it's the joy that might be mauve. <laughs> okay. Well, some traditions just do all one color, right. and then the Christ candle, right? Is and some of them different. are blue. Yeah. Some, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. So my question is this: So you started uh, Sunday with an with an Advent series, and and you preached through, um, through the book, through the um, the lectionary, the lectionary, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty systematic, like, you know, different parts of the year are going to preach the same passage or whatever. And, 
and I've heard you say it before that you know you Advent season wasn't always your favorite. It felt a little whatever, and so you were going to preach this kind of a departure, and then you got appendicitis and you couldn't do it, and so this season you're going to do it, and so you're preaching the next four weeks about four women in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Well, and Jesus's lineage in Matthew mm-hmm. one, and so the first that you talked about Sunday was Tamar. Mm-hmm. Give us a brief snapshot of Tamar. Mm. Uh, the story? Briefly. Okay. Um, well, Tamar is the daughter-in-law of Judah, one of the 12 um, sons of Jacob, uh, Israel. And um, he has three sons, and the first two marry um, Tamar, and they die. And so then, um, you know, there's precedent that uh, his third son should have married Tamar. Um, but he withholds that from her. So a lot of patriarchy going on here, by the way. If you're, I'm just telling the story as the scripture tells it. Uh, this is also where we get the spilling of the seed, which was a mm-hmm. prohibition against masturbation when we were That's evangelical right. kids. That's right. <laughs> Don't be like Onan. Um, so anyhow, um, so the story unfolds. She, she dresses the part of the temple prostitute incognito. Um, Judah, unbeknownst to him, um, pays for her services. Um, and then... Um, that there's an exchange of goods. I use the metaphor of credit card. She got his credit card. And then um, he finds out she's pregnant, which would have been a patriarchal faux pas. She shouldn't be pregnant since she still had this lineage mm-hmm. commitment to his family. And so he's about to have her burned at the stake. And she says, oh, by the way, here's your credit card from the time that you hired me as a prostitute. Well, he doesn't still doesn't know this. So it's like, boom, mic drop. Mm-hmm. And um, then Judah is humble, humbled in the moment. And so... <laughs> I just, there's so many layers to this that I, I, I found. Well, yeah, I think this would be incredibly um, powerful for the work you guys are doing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I loved, I loved, number one, that you were bringing women to the center in the midst of this. Number two, um, you're going to talk about, maybe next week or the next week, Rahab. Mm-hmm. And Rahab has been significantly influential mm-hmm. to us from a visionary standpoint and an influencing standpoint of our work here at Jesus I Love. But isn't it interesting, too, that we now have this prostitution theme in multiple of what you refer to as Jesus's nannies well, and, and grandmas? And, and really, <laughs> in the in the enslavement of women's bodies is the theme yeah. that carries all the way through to Ruth, I would say, who yeah, sure. lays yeah. at the feet of Boaz, which I'm yeah. not going to preach on her, but there's your fifth woman in that lineage. And then Bathsheba, who, you yeah. know, uh, Lily Nang over at Truett will f- force you to reckon with the fact that she was raped. That's yeah. how David did to her. He, he yeah. raped her. yeah. Man after wow. God's own heart. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I, uh, yeah, that just blows my mind. Yeah. Which, um, you know, I, I, do, I do subscribe that the, the scripture is inspired and, you know, I have a pretty high view of scripture. But it is amazing to be in 2020 and to read these texts now. 100%. And to see how the diamond has been turned, to use a raw term, and how we're now seeing scripture in a way that we couldn't see culturally, even, well, women probably could. Mm-hmm. Uh, people mm-hmm. that are marginalized probably could, but yeah. as privileged white Western males, I yeah. couldn't see. Yeah. Yeah. It is... It's a game changer for sure to to revisit these and for the scriptures to endure as sacred. I think we have to be honest mm-hmm. with what we're looking at mm-hmm. if they're going to make it. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, as this one of our the beginning of a staff meeting each week, we read the text that's going to be preached. Whoever's going to preach it, and uh, so we read Joshua two, which is Rahab's story. And it was, again, just very painful yeah. to listen right. as believers and people who hold this text up. But one of the comments Jamie, our worship pastor, made last week that I think was at play here is, I will give the Bible this. It includes these stories. It does. Um, and, the, and the Bible's the really, I mean, not the only, but almost exclusively the one text from Western civilization where the losers got to tell the story. And they're very consistently tell a story that makes themselves look bad, which is just <laughs> astounding <laughs> right. that they do that. right. And well, what I love that you that you said in your sermon, you, you posed the question: Why is this stuff in here? Why is why would this story be in here? And your hmm. response was because God felt it important enough for it to be in here. Hmm. He felt it important enough for us to to know this for whatever purpose. And so, yeah, I think there are those moments like the Phineas story. Why I don't understand that. I think I go back to what I was so blown away by with the plurality of oneness thing is this community and that um i and i think some i don't remember who i heard talk about it may have been richard Rohr 
again on the podcast somewhere. But he said, you know, we we had to leave the garden mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in order to become flourishing again and in order to become who we are. And and so I don't like that. I don't I really don't I don't like that part. And I don't like these stories in scripture. But I don't like the parts of my story either. And unless I can accept them, I don't have to like them to accept them. What do you mean when you say you don't like them? Like, well, I don't love abuse. Sure. But is it not cathartic to find that part of your story held by a scripture? That's a sincere question. I don't... Totally. Um, It's comforting, you know, and I think I still wrestle with like, yeah, but aren't we working for a world where this doesn't exist anymore? Aren't we working to remedy? And so I think I'm kind of always battling the fix it of like, but that's not the point. The point's not to be like David who had a heart after God and raped women and was a polygamist and right. I mean Mm -hmm. like, so I think to me, my growth in my relationship with the scriptures that actually is to, to me now more vibrant than it used to be where I was like looking at it in a, in a rule book of like something to subscribe to something to feel like I could, come in line with some heroes that I could idolize. And now I recognize this community like I'm born into is like full of philanderers. And that's the cup that Jesus asks us to drink of. Mm -hmm. Like that's the ones he goes and picks up from the fishing tribes and from the, I mean, they're losers. They're absolute losers, betrayers. Like, and so I find comfort. I don't want to be necessarily, uh, you know, over identified with Peter. I don't want to like over identify with him, but it's comforting to know he's there because then I too can accept those parts of my story. It's just, I come from this community. Okay. This is the community where I come from. I'm having a moment right now. Yeah. Just hearing you talk about David the way that you just did felt so weird to me. And I, I as you were talking, mm-hmm. I was sitting here thinking that how, if, if that's him, then how are we persuaded that he's this man after God's own heart, but yet we vilify Zacchaeus, right? You know, he's this crappy tax collector guy. But I got to be honest, I have more empathy for today as a 44-year-old. I have more empathy for Zacchaeus than I do for David because I know these things about David, but it's like we've been taught to not look at that. Like, I think some people are going to hear that David is a rapist <laughs> and they're going to wet their pants out of anger because they can't reckon. Holy man. They can't reckon. That's, that's the man after God's own heart. Yeah. Not only is he a rapist, he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Truth. I mean, come on. Yeah. And, and yet so are we like, if we're not willing to, drink of the cup. I think, I think that's the thing. That's like the, I don't know. I'm not the, the preacher here, but maybe you can describe a little bit because I think when I look at like the beatitudes or the blessed are and the, you know, I mean, we're kind of grafted into being both the murderer. I mean, when he says, if you've looked at a woman yeah, and unless that if you've been angry with your brother, you've murdered. I mean, everything is flipped around with the coming of Christ, which is Advent. Here we are looking at everything differently. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know what to do. A lot of good observations. I'm just not sure which question I'm responding to. Sorry. Um, when <laughs> I don't think we know either. <laughs> when we, when we, we brought you here to help us figure our lives out. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, when we like, Brett said, people are going to look or hear that about David and they're not going to like it. Some of them, if they grew up in a very high view of wondering why are these stories in scripture? Like, how do we reconcile? So maybe this is, I think I can, I propose an answer that might be helpful. Um, when I preach to the book of Job, I, I borrow this from, I got it from Bert. I think it probably comes from the guy who wrote the nine st- stages formation. I can't think of his name right now. It's a pretty famous book. 
Um, but anyhow, uh, the the tagline is: you want your children's pastor to be a fundamentalist, your youth pastor to be oh, an evangelical, yes. your young adults <laughs> pastor to be de- a deconstructionist, and your senior adults pastor to be a mystic. Mm-hmm. Um, the other quote that I think is crucial for me in my own Bible study is John Calvin, who said, "Without the Holy Spirit, the Bible's a dead book." Mm-hmm. And so, uh, what I mean by all that is. I do think there is a value in teaching your children about King David and mm-hmm. sharing the story about him dancing before God, mm-hmm. and, you know, with his heart of worship mm-hmm. and his and tearing the mouth of the lion mm-hmm. and, you know, all these things, these great stories we have of David. Mm-hmm. He was clearly anointed in history. Yeah. Um, if you want to take theology and religion and God out of it, he just had a, a hell of a historical career. Mm. Um, and so uh, there's that which is at play. He, he takes monarchy and gives it a kind of meaning and a really critical piece of Israel's history mm-hmm. that we need to pay attention to. Um, but then, you know, uh, you become an evangelical, well, maybe as an evangelical is when you tell the story of David dancing and his clothes fall off, because that's mm-hmm. what, but yeah. at some point you have to back, wait a minute, Yeah, he had Uriah killed. And I think that scripture, A, can handle that. And again, they're the ones who chose to put all of that in there. They could have yeah. edited it the, the way they wanted to. And um, scripture, and certainly God can absorb the fact that um, David is a shady character. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think when we fall into that mysticism, and this is probably where we're all experiencing mm-hmm. our own pain right now is... And yet that is someone after God's own heart. I know. And to have the courage to then say, how am I, David? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, I think that is the mystery of it. And that's the humanity that we're all being invited into that, like, that Christ coming is putting on skin, is being invited into this table of misfits in this you know, philanderers and, and yet can still hope and love and have joy and have faith. It's, it's just wild. And the reason I mentioned the, the Calvin quote about the spirit is because I really believe the spirit will help us in our reading yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and, and move us through those movements in a community together to yeah. reflect the plurality of oneness. Uh, yes. I think it's dangerous to read the Bible without your community. It is. Not well, that, you know, priesthood of all believer, we're Baptists, but I'm just saying there's a wisdom in the voice of many. hundred percent. We going, going back to Tamar, um, what what was her hope? That's a good question. Um, you know the the exclamation point I put on the the sermon, and it was some you know, what you might say exegetical gymnastics. But I do think that there is a redemptive arch in hermeneutic. I would call it in the scripture towards women, and so you know um, you can kind of hermeneutics one one. We look back at some of the Deuteronomistic texts in the Levitical code and what it says about women, and we think, oh, how how barbaric. But in that moment, it's a giant step forward for mm. equality. And so um, you have to trace a trajectory that goes through Jesus giving dignity to the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. You have Jesus drawing in the sand. These are references mm-hmm. I made on Sunday. But ultimately, you have what, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, Phoebe and uh, Syntyche, Odia. Um, mm-hmm. Not Priscilla and Aquila. I think it's just Aquila. Or, or Priscilla. Priscilla, Pri- not Aquila. Aquila. Aquila's man. Yeah, Both so. tent makers, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, but it, really, uh, Lydia in Acts 16, uh, w- women empowered. And I think um, in a very subtle way... Tamar grabs her own agency within mm-hmm. the world that she can and does something Absolutely. very powerful. Well, and this is where I can't wait for you to preach on Rahab because I see agency all over her life of being an entrepreneur and being a social entrepreneur of like hiding, you know, the spies and the flax on top of the roof. I mean, she had a business going on. She had stuff she was selling more than just her body. Um, well, not and, only that, they're, they're stepping up was, to the patriarchy. Yeah, and she was making deals. You know, she saw who held the power, and she was like, all right, I'll hide you, make me this deal. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. and she, I love her proximity. That's the other thing, is like the proximity that the women have in these stories to power is so important. And and no matter where they are, um, whether it's the bleeding woman, you know, in the tent who's been ostracized and then using the, her proximity to push her way through the crowd so that she can become proximate with who was going to be healing her. But when Rahab, it says so clearly in the scriptures, she lived in the city walls. Mm-hmm. Like she is embedded just even conceptually yeah. in what is holding up a city. And that became super formational mm, for us when we, were, thought about that. when we were um, naming Jesus Said Love and Joshua 2 kept standing out and I couldn't get away from she lived in the city wall. She lived in the city wall. And I kept contemplating it and thinking, like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And God was like, if you reach them, you reach the city. 
Yeah. You reach them, you reach you, mm. They know so much. They know so much. I mean, they are there. They are the eyes and ears of the city. Well, then to even see that play out practically. Yeah. When we had an opportunity to speak into the ordinance, the city ordinance governance mm. yeah. of sexually oriented businesses mm-hmm. and how seriously our mayor and council took this. At first, they weren't going to take it very seriously. And then we posed the question, do you know what you're going to do if you if you do what you're what you're currently going to do, which was shut the clubs down. We, our question was, do you understand that these women are impoverished women? So what is your plan of employment if you shut down their only source of revenue? And so it, it just became a bigger conversation. It wasn't that we were saying, Oh, keep strip clubs open. I mean, we caught a lot of flack for like, well, now Jesus said love is like supporting commercial sex, you know? And, um, we were like, no, we're supporting women who are, you know, exploited through commercial sex and whether we like it or not, it's a, it was a means of, of income for them. And so they became really, you know, it's just the problem has to become part of the solution. And what we were asking our city council to do was look at the women in your city who are literally holding up this problem and, and bring their voices to center so they can have some input. It was Um, just really cool to see. And Rahab, yeah, Rahab gave us the recipe really for that, you know, it was amazing. One other great thing about Rahab is one of the best questions we can ask, especially we, we get to about the Old Testament, is how does the text read itself when it does? And she's one of the few that's included in the Hall of Fame in mm-hmm. Hebrews 11. Yes. And, um, you know, I think she's such a dynamic, pivotal figure, not just in terms of her own narrative, but in terms of theological scope. Mm-hmm. Because this is a moment when, a rare moment when Israel's pretty successful nationally mm-hmm. and um, really could cling to its own identity. And with, with Rahab, God breaks through and says... No, this is going to be inclusive, which is that thing we were talking about before right. and Jesus and the plurality and the one is, yeah. um, here's an early signal of what's to come. Mm. And she's one of the clearest examples of that that wow. we have. So in 2020, bringing Advent to modern day, I feel like we have been through a hell of a year. Hell, I mean, hell of many years, mm-hmm. but it feels as though... We're attuned. I think all of us have had to learn to wait. Yeah, I was. You're absolutely right. We've oh my we've gosh. had to wear waiting, whether or not we wanted to or not. Like Brett and I, for all of our immunity to waiting, we know what waiting is this year. Yeah, it? you do. Well, I mean, we're still waiting. We still don't even know who the, the president the... is. <laughs> <laughs> we're still waiting, guys. And we're, we're waiting. waiting for a vaccine. We and are. we're waiting for normalcy. And yeah. we're waiting for regular school schedules. Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? Like, I'm just curious for the church. What is the hope that you're carrying forward this Advent season for the church at large? Like, what are you hoping for? You know, um, I feel like everybody who's anybody, when they make this discovery, is like, I just saw this quote somewhere. I wish I had written it down. But it was, um, uh, when we reflect, it's the painful things that have meant the most. Mm. And I think one, I don't want to call it good, but a gift that the virus has given us in the church is that, um, you know, we all wear cultural lenses and the way we see the gospel and the Western world is, is again, known a lot of cushy privilege Mm -hmm. and, um, the virus is an equal equal opportunity terrorist, Mm -hmm. you know, doesn't care. And so, um, my hope is that what grows out of this is an empathy for the kind of waiting that most of the world has to do all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I just listened to the vaccine stuff and they said, you know, like America and Canada have bought six to seven amount of times of vaccines as a population solely um, for the hope that if a couple don't work, we have the right one. Um, And the other reality is that like the vaccine, um, some of the early, I think the Pfizer one needs to be cooled at 80 degrees below Celsius to even work. Mm. I mean, our our infrastructure in the States doesn't have that most hospitals. And so there's, again, this is privilege that... um, we are having to reckon with that I think the rest of the world will continue to have to reckon with for mm-hmm. time to come. But at least I think in a positive way now, the church can have an empathy in a new way that we didn't before. Mm. Do you feel like I just, when the shutdown occurred and everybody had to shelter in place and it was hell for a little while. I mean, like I, I literally remember running out the door and like slamming the door behind me on one moment because everything just got, like a pressure cooker in our home and, and nothing was normal and everything was being ripped. And I just, I was like, had a trauma response. I was like, flee and, you know, leave. Um, 
but it made me wonder, like, I remember Palm Sunday tuning in to UBC, you know, online and we were doing Sunday mornings in the living room and I just remember sad and I remember crying and I remember just feeling like this is so strange. But then the next day I wondered and I was like, I wonder now if like God is in some ways the spirit is teaching us this kind of removal of hierarchy and dependency on Mm -hmm. what we've called church. Mm -hmm. And we're like having to hear God for ourselves. Yeah. And I was, I had another thought about your last question about what's God teaching the church. Mm. Um, I would, and this is me sawing the branch off that I'm sitting on, Yeah, but I I think it's, it's true (laughs) is that, um, I've always thought we're about 200 years behind Europe culturally in just terms of how history is going to unfold. That's been fast forwarded because of the death of distance through the internet and other things. Um, I think that we're on the verge of being a post-Christendom culture Mm -hmm. that's knocking on our door, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, and I I don't mean to stir up anything here. Um, The the evangelical church is in bed with um, a kind of nationalism right now that Uh might not be, we can't recover from. And um, that whether or not you'd claim evangelicalism, the church has just lost all of its credibility. And so um, this might just be really good preview of things to come mm-hmm. and figuring out how to hold faith in a post-Christendom culture and what that actually means. Yeah. And um, the thing that's going to make the church go isn't going to be buildings and pastors. It's right. going to be authentic faith. And yeah. so maybe that could be... There's just a new sense of revival. To me, I, I think that's the hope that I'm holding on for. Is not a revival in the ways that we learned it in evangelical right, I, culture. Yeah, okay, I'll take that with that qualifier. That's uh, what I mean. Yeah. It's not that kind of revival. But when I look at things that, when I look at faith of my friends in European culture and and what part of the faith community is doing there, these like this crazy merge of like social justice and Holy Spirit, I. Yeah. I don't see that here. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see well, many churches I was, doing that. As you said that, I was just thinking revival. You know, you, for us when we were leading worship in the context of quote quote revivals, right? And you know, people falling out, and you know, revival equals this physical manifestation of something from the Holy Spirit. And now I'm sitting here thinking, could it be revival is is a return of kindness? Oh. And a return of loving mm. your neighbor. Yeah. That's revival. Absolutely. You know, I believe it. the book says kindness leads to repentance. Mm-hmm. And so instead of like yelling at people for who they're sleeping with and <laughs> what they're smoking or drinking or whatever, it's let's go buy them a meal. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in this age where evangelicals love to boycott, I, I don't think Jesus would have ever boycotted. I think he would have taken people to, mm-hmm. to the Baylor Club and let's have a good dinner and talk and love you. Or to Zacchaeus' house. Or to Zacchaeus' house. I know. We can't share meals right now, but one day. So maybe revival <laughs> looks like just being nice to your neighbor. I don't know if you follow Jonathan Merritt, but he wrote um, Speaking God from Scratch, and he comes from this evangelical world, but he talks about the um, linguistics of like language. Like, yeah, so Yeah, just how we don't even use words like, you know, we don't speak God anymore. And we're, mm-hmm. and the ones who are speaking such a different vernacular that we're not even on the same page. Um, and I just wonder, yeah, if there's like a, a revival of what are you laughing? At? I'm laughing because <laughs> we're listening to that on the way as we were driving yesterday to a funeral and he was going through this litany of uh, oh, yeah. what he, what we all know, at least us here in this room, um, Christianese. And mm-hmm. he was like, even the term Christianese is Christianese, but nonetheless, and he goes through, you know, nobody says, except those who speak Christianese, hedge of protection, traveling mercies, um, yeah. you know. Uh, Quiet time. Uh, uh, what, what is the Lord doing in your life? Yeah. Um, let's share life together. Like yeah, even life this, together. We don't. Right. Normal people don't <laughs> use phrases like that. That's true. And we have to learn how to recover our faith without using these institutional, like this language yeah. that the institution of church. Well, the strip clubs us. helped us in that. They did. It did. We had to, we had to talk very different. We had yeah. to, they don't yeah. know what worship leader means. No. They are like, what are y'all, what are you talking about? Your worship? What? <laughs> I think too, like those moments in culture help us reclaim meaning too. Totally. When you have to reinvent language. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 
big Tolkien fan. He was a philologist, mm. and there are worlds behind words, mm-hmm. quite literally. He was a what? Philologist, study well, study of language. So many big words in this discussion. Well, Studies rebuke linguistics. me and say, "Hey, idiot!" No, I you mean, have it. I have it. I, if you haven't been, if you're listening out there, you haven't been able to. Our pastor's really, really smart. Well, Andy wears cargo shorts. But yeah. do you have a photographic memory? No, I don't think so. Okay, I just wondered because you've quoted more people. Like, I'm just wondering if you read things and they get lodged in your little. Ticker. I feel there. like I'm getting dumber as I get older. To be really? honest, yeah, I really forgetting do. what you knew. I just can't hang on to stuff like I used yeah. to. Wow, you hang on to a lot still. Well, thank it feels you. like. I feel like we've been all over the map, but. Well, we're waiting and we're hoping. And we're waiting we've... to figure out what this means. I think this is the kind of conversations you have when you're waiting. You're it is. Waiting. Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do about this, but somehow we have definitely all learned the way. I hope that. Um, yeah, as we're encountering this season and we're going to be talking through, we're going to have Scott the Painter, or Scott Erickson on here. Holy Scott, smokes. Yeah, and well. he's going to talk about an honest advent. And, and I wanted, before before bringing on him or Jonathan Merritt to you talk You're going to have Jonathan through, Merritt on? We are. Yeah. Whoa. I know, isn't it crazy? But That's I wanted so much you. I that, wanted well, you. Well, I'm super honored. And like to uh, set the stage because the I think series. we have to give Woo. some context to this meaning of Advent because some people don't know. Well, goodness gracious. Yeah. My three ego just was like that I'm included with that list. You're the characters. season opener. You're the yeah. opener. I'm opening act. I you're opening I'm like, act. I'm like the opening opener. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean it that way. Well, you should because yeah, uh, the, the awesome. pedigree of people coming after me is like the A game gets picked up I'm a little excited. Bit. That's and so fun. You know, I that's, do, that's I do want to say this because this would so bother me if I was listening to this podcast. Um, earlier, Josh mentioned the name Bert uh, in reference to uh, that little yeah. thing. That's Burt Burleson, who is a dear soul here in Waco. He is the... Reference um, to what thing? Did when I was talking Bert? about the, where I got the fourfold reading of oh, development. Yes. And, yes. yes. Yeah, that, Bert it is Burleson. Burt Burleson, correct? Correct, Burt. Yes. Rev yeah, Doctor. Bert is the... Um, chaplain. Uh, chaplain at Baylor. University he's chaplain. A, yeah. the ki- he's the kindest man I've ever met, and he's a nine on the Enneagram and just a beautiful soul. <laughs> I describe him as Gandalf. Oh, yeah. That is so him. Yeah. Yep. Just Pretty not Gandalf-y. as tall. Yeah. Yeah. He's the real Waco Bishop. <laughs> you just—that's your just your Instagram handle. It's not your real. Well, identity. I started it as a double entendre bishop because right. I like chess so much. Oh, okay. But I'm like I'm also in the religion business. I can do double up. You, do you watch the Queen's Gambit? <laughs> I have not. It, we just finished Shit's Creek, so I'm going to start Queen's okay. Gambit. Yeah. Okay. I just have season have watched episode one, and. I need to know how to play chess, though. I don't know how to play chess. I've never learned. It's so much fun. I think it's, but I'm I'm a little bit of a nerd that way. Yeah. I just read that it's on a rise of people playing chess. That's great. I'm sure this will help. And it's good for dyslexics. Did you know that? I'm dyslexic. Are you? Mm -hmm. Really? They're really good at chess. And it's one of the therapeutic tools, the modalities that that dyslexia instructors use to help dyslexic kids. Look at that. Look at that. Do you flip words or do they float or what happens? I've learned a lot of skills to compensate, especially since I public speak, but Uh I, you know, I read in, um, everything multiple times before I'm going to say it out loud. So I kind of get in there. Fascinating. You're like Tom Cruise. Uh, Which, which, um, (laughs) is is he, does he do that? He's dyslexic. Oh, Oh, well, hot dog. So is Dak Shepard. Awesome. That's my real badge of honor. Okay. There you go. Well, Josh, thank you for being here. In the midst of this yeah. rando conversation, but well, delightful one. It is delightful, and I hope that if you're listening, and um, you know, the truth is, I went on iTunes and on Spotify to look for Advent podcast. There isn't any. Well, I'm very excited then. So I feel like I want to fill a gap. I so always look for the gap. So we're doing this for a ratings gap. maker. Not necessarily, but I think. Well, your you should kids, have had a different first guest if you're going for ratings. Well, <laughs> I just people think we unsubscribe need, when they see my name come up. You know, I found myself driving and carpooling, and like, okay, I want to. Here it is, Advent. Like, I want to listen to an Advent sermon. I want to listen to an Advent podcast. I want That's to listen, cool. and there's not one. And so, I hope this series, if you if you're morning time and to kind of wake up and get into your rhythm and make meaning out of this season as you're waiting and as you're trying to just bring awareness to what this means right now for our world and also for the season that we're in, I hope the series will be a good one. I will add too, if you found Josh's sermon that we've referenced interesting and you want to listen to it in its entirety or the rest of his series that he will bring throughout this um, 
Christmas season, yeah. uh, you can definitely find it on Facebook at UBC Waco. Um, and you can actually watch the video. You can see Josh. He preaches in a, I don't know, Harry Potter <laughs> outfit. I've never seen it, but that's just what I'm told <laughs> it is. Let's leave it there. Yeah. And you can just watch that. Harry Potter outfit. I love, I love, that. I love the description. I don't know. I've never seen the movie, whatever. I'm just like, that's my pastor. He's got oh, cargo shorts so on underneath there, I'm sure. And we will link it in the yes. website notes. Yeah. Yes. Don't go to their podcast site, though, because it hasn't been updated since September. UBC can we get on not, that? Well, okay. we're not really I'll, I'll known. We, we like to wait around <laughs> yeah. UBC a lot. Talk about waiting. <laughs> we practice Advent in a lot of different ways all year. Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you. If you have questions or want comments or whatever, or you're just mad that we said David was a rapist. Um, Brad at JesusSaidLove.com. Emily at JesusSaidLove.com. Josh at JesusSaidLove.com. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, send, send it all of that at the email address. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, share the love. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Yes. Because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. And visit the website at JesusSaidLove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.